Hello, and welcome to Locutors of Trek, the podcast where we talk about the people, places, and things of Star Trek. So, replicate yourself a Romulan ale or your synthesis selection of choice and join us far beyond the stars. Locutors of Trek. Program initiated. Enter when ready. Well, hi there. It's Dave. And I'm Devin. We are Locutors of Trek. Back again to... uh, To embrace the topic of relationships. That's right. Proximity alert. It's an interesting feature of the development of psychology as a discipline, and particularly the history of psychoanalysis, that... Where Sigmund Freud starts with the mind in its singularity uh, pushed up from the uh, libidinous depths of the early creature into a kind of uh, lonely ride atop the beast that is the id. And Jung tries to connect those things with notions of the kind of archetypal material we may all carry with us in more and less literal ways at various moments of his career, an interesting inheritor of theirs, Heinz Kohut, uh, who's understood to be the the developer, essentially, of a thing called self-psychology, spoke about a selfhood that was fundamentally relational, whose fundamental activity was attachment, either through play or parenting or sexuality or consumption or work labor. And so there are ways within our own contemporary world of thinking about ourselves as always implying and requiring an other through whom and with whom we understand ourselves. From the biology perspective, we're social creatures. Absolutely. We're always group creatures. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that's not going to change anytime soon. We need to embrace that to get to the Star Trek. (laughs) I think you're quite right. Yeah. Get a little of the um, the nuts and bolts out of the way, I guess. Oh, yeah, do it up. We've been expanding a little bit here on Locutors of Trek. You can check us out on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook. We repost our videos, and we do live streams. We're doing uh, debates, oh. our Debate 9, mm-hmm. The Trouble with Trivia. Mm-hmm. You can even see some Heroclix we're, getting we're, played on there. Heroclix, Star Trek battles on there. Which mm-hmm. We're going to try to weave a bit of a story scenario through that, because that's fun. Especially yeah. for me, I just get to play Heroclix. Um, <laughs> and uh, we have a nice segment coming up. Oh, yeah, coming up. the writer's room. Yeah, we're going to try and emulate the feel of writing a season of Star Trek. Yeah. One of the modern sort of 12, 13 episode style things. Uh, but our tone will be to be determined our... Well, our ship is fairly determined, but we'll we'll unveil that at the time. Don't miss that one. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. And so, you know, if you got it in your head, think about, say, the writer's room in Far Beyond the Stars, mm-hmm. but uh, with ideally far less dysfunction and more production of Star Trek stories. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. None of that type of dysfunction here. We don't have that. No. None of that. No wrinkles. No zippers. No. A writer's not Viking. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,
<laughs> Vikings everywhere begin to bring out their copies of the sagas and Eddas and say, hey, no. Um, but yeah, you can hear us play some songs on there too. Uh, that's but true. We're going to keep it different. There's a that's lot of true. other segments we have planned that are, are things we've done on the podcast here yet. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're branching out. But if you love your Locutors of Trek podcast the way it is, do not worry. It, the main podcast is not changing. We are Indeed. here for you. Indeed. We're here with you, even. As we speak of relationships. But Indeed. why don't we do a top five to kick us off here? Oh, lovely. We thought we would do our top five relationships that we wanted to see more of. One, two, one, two, three... Let's start at our number fives. All right. Would you like to go first, Dave? Our number five, my number five is, may not be the most popular one, but I would love to see even a couple of short treks with this in it. That kind of an idea. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see more of the relationship between Wesley and the Traveler. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I could see an animated thing with that or uh, short treks again just yeah that would be showing some places they go to i almost or... think it would have to be animated or at least would be best done that way because oh, yeah. they're gonna be on some high plane adventures oh absolutely <laughs> yes yeah yeah oh what a great place to pick up in like an episode of lower decks oh wouldn't that be great well, uh, they arrive and there they are and i just uh, wanted i just want to know that wesley's okay yeah the, the last time we see him <laughs> he is leaves with a creepy at movie. the wedding no. <laughs> oh, uh in what is that in nemesis yeah uh and so at some he's either uh, it looks like he's wearing a starfleet uniform and that so at some yeah. point he's come back yeah. and is he was just off to starfleet. learn some things uh, that was an interesting episode of tnt and all that oh yeah that was a really interesting and, and again right out in the cardassian neutral zone uh yeah. with the beginnings of the maquis right what a good way to um, kick us off i wouldn't have thought of that one but uh, it's a really interesting nexus of stuff you know yeah the stories Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my number five is Uhura and Scotty. Oh. And the reason I chose them is because in most missions, away missions, episodes even of Star Trek, the original series, it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beaming down to the planet. Uh -huh. So most of the time, or at least a lot of the time, during all the episodes we see, it's just Scotty and Uhura running things back on the ship. And we don't get to see a lot of that. Like, I think that's something that in a more modern show, they would have touched on a lot more. Like, that would have been such an important dynamic on, say, a TNG or uh -huh. PS9 or something uh -huh. like that. They, these two who are always left to command the ship and everyone off is, is off oh, doing yeah. things and getting into the space battles and doing the politics like it's so it's so interesting oh yeah you get the engineer and the communications officer i just think it and i, I think they did kind of touch on a bit of a almost romance between those two in the series a little. oh i think and star trek six i think hints at that as well mm -hmm. points at that but even uh just the two of them on screen like james duhan and mm -hmm. uh nichelle nichols are just such great on-screen presences oh, as yeah. well that them having a little more time would have been really beautiful. I think that's one of the things that left me wanting from that original series. Yeah. Well, I think the few scenes they really do get to kind of sizzle together mm. in just give you a taste for more. You yeah. know, uh, that'd be uh, what a oh, lovely thought. Absolutely lovely. Um, talk about a pair that don't get enough screen time. Mm -hmm. And this one is a real romance that never got to get wings. It's Tuvok. And Nos. 
Oh, Tuvok and I really like the episode Gravity. You me too. Uh, me from too. Voyager, was that season four or five? And the character of Nos. Yeah, played by I uh, know I've lost her name, but she also played Tank Girl. Yeah, um, uh, she's great. Lori Petty. I think that's right. Yeah, exactly. She's a great uh, actress. I love her and everything. She was in a League of Their Own. Oh um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah she, she was she in pops um, up Orange Is the New Black. Great actress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the way she shows up, you just get this whole view of a shuttlecraft and Voyager and all that sort of stuff that is uh, a lovely outside view that gets to come inside and get to know Tuvok in a whole different way. And that moment when they mind mm -hmm. meld right at the end. Yeah. Uh, and it's he's finally, like, in a way that's appropriate to his own sensibilities, give her the feelings that he can't ever really articulate in in, in his conscious sort of uh non-melded life yeah his way of saying i feel some of these things you want me to feel i can never show you or tell you that this is the only way i will ever be able to tell yeah. you <laughs> like just just yeah. just be one with me in that sense what right? a great character that would have been great to have join the crew though and i don't know like, when the episode started i thought oh around. really like is she gonna mm. but yeah that's she, a good she one she can't but yeah I like the way you're going with this. I admit I've picked a little bit more established characters oh, interesting. than you're, right on. you've been going with, so I think this is nice. We might not get any crossover here. My number four, Kapla. Worf and Kern. Oh! Oh, and yeah. This reminds me of the episode where they're just like, it's the last one of Kern where they erase his memory. Yeah. Sons of Moog. And um, they're just disagreeing about everything. And Kern's just like, well, there's one thing I know. The sons of Moog should never have been separated and he's just like on that i agree and of course we can't get that we're never going to get them yeah but i yeah. love their dynamic even you know as adults mm -hmm. kern is a living ingrained klingon oh yeah and cultural klingon and warp has this idealized version of what he thinks that is and Kern sort of lives up to some of those ideals, and some of them he doesn't. And his beast has roasted in the sun. And Worf lives up <laughs> to all of the, you know, idealized versions of what it is to mm -hmm. be a Klingon. He's the most like honorable and idealized version of a Klingon that you see. Oh yeah, he's the guy who kind of embodies that. But he sort of can't cling on his way out of a paper bag no. in. In real Klingon life. No, or even in that Sons of Moog episode where, yeah. you know, uh, Kern has to shoot that guy and Worf's just, just like, oh, what? what? You didn't have to do that. He was backing down. And he's just like, he was going to kill you, Worf. <laughs> yeah. And just surprised that Worf didn't know that. And, you know, that, you know, shakes Worf to the core for the rest of that episode. He's just like, someone decided to kill me while I was staring at them in the eyes and I didn't know it. Yeah. And Judge is like, so no one can. He's just like, Klingon can. <laughs> but I just love that dynamic where they have so much really to learn from each other. Yes. I feel like it sucks that they had to erase Kern's memory. But, you know, there's they left that kind of almost impossible to give him his memories back. Yes. When they do it. So I, was like, I would love to see if there's ever this Captain Worf show. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my bring gosh. Bring Kern back with his memories. and That I mean, would be amazing. I mean, it's Tony Todd, man. It's yeah. Tony Todd. Can you imagine? Give me more Tony Todd and Michael them, Dorn acting together. Like put this. them on the bridge of a Klingon bird of prey and just let this, send them. I love. I love Michael, uh, Michael Dorn's idea is just basically mm. Worf's got to clean up the Empire somehow. Oh man! It would. Oh my gosh! It would be amazing. Worf constantly irritated, trying to problem solve. Make it happen. 
Oh man, Orphan the sons of Moog, call the series. <laughs> the sons of Moog, indeed. You can even throw Alexander in there. <laughs> oh, and and here, um, here, sons of Kales. And you can even throw in Nikolai, mm. not a son of Moog, but a brother of Worf. Indeed. Well, that would be interesting. And then you too, get Paul yeah. Sorvino in there acting up a storm. Oh, it's gonna be a good show. Oh, anyway. Man. Tune into really? the writers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when we'll also write a season of that. <laughs> Just pro bono. Just give us be time. Good. Oh man. So my number three on this list is well, it's I mean these are these kind of have a what if quality to them. You know, no, what if yeah. we had more of this? I wish we knew more about Romulan Commander, who is uh, so sadly betrayed by spock during the enterprise incident so you more of their relationship i would love to see whether they were able to have any further contact with each other because huh. she could easily still have been alive when spock was on romulus mm. uh in his sort of quasi underground crypto diplomatic quality that would be a fascinating that'd be the, the female roman yeah charvenek is that her name? Yeah. Did we get her name? Yep, Charvenek. Oh, I didn't realize. I, I have her hero click. Charvenek. Tune into our hero oh, nice. battles. Well, that's Charvenek. Will get played eventually. Yes. That, uh, that is exactly who I would love to see yeah, she's more cool. of on screen with Spock. Uh, <laughs> that's her. Yeah, her. Yeah, with that wonderfully soft lighting. Yeah, very nice. Classic Trek. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I've, hmm. There you go. There's uh, that, that ride in the. Uh, turbo lift at the end of that episode uh the whole ending sort of sequence mm -hmm. there is just marvelous mm -hmm. uh, yeah i like that one i really like the way we uh, went totally different ways with this <laughs> we, clearly, we've diverged quite strongly yeah all right <laughs> number my number three captain benjamin lafayette cisco and jadzia and through jadzia curzon ah because we i feel like they didn't get a lot of time together on the show and given the relationship that Ben had with Curzon, but also that Ben develops with Jadzia, there just didn't really seem to be enough time. How Jadzia embraces that, you know, how Ezri's just like, I'm not the old man, Stop! I'm not all these past lives, I'm yeah, yeah, I yeah. just remember their stuff. Jadzia's not like that. She's like, I am all these people. So I, I just feel like there was, would have been a lot more moments, and we get a couple of them, but, uh, but of her really being that, kind of mentor figure to him mm -hmm. but him also being the mentor figure to jazzia like they had that beautiful dynamic oh, yeah and i really didn't feel like that got fleshed out enough especially with all of the trying decisions and stuff that ben had to make mm -hmm. jazzia had to make i feel like they would have had these discussions yeah even seeing seeing her help him get into a little mischief mm -hmm. uh in a very sort of curzon bringing benjamin along to get into trouble yeah, with him. yeah would have been great fun too you know yeah oh, and yeah. you get those sort of intimations that that's still part of their relationship but we just don't um, get to see enough of it yeah yeah because it would have been interesting to see that and the change of dynamic with him being a commander and then a captain now right in this different position where he has to be differently mm -hmm. you know yeah oh I'm man chugging along here this is fun so now, here is a point of overlap, but not a oh. place where we're actually doing the same thing. Oh, my. So this comes up to my number two. And just because he's one of those great jokes, and I don't know how you do it. You might have to keep him off screen. <laughs> but um, he is hideous. Um, would, I would just like to see Dax and Captain Baudet. I don't like Captain Baudet. <laughs> 
I knew you were going to like this one, but I would just, uh, yeah, I would like even just fan art of just them at the replimat. Any, I would just like to see a representation of him heavily Day. shadowed, maybe with a hood on or a okay, tube, something. Yeah, right. you know, at least um, give us a warning so I'm not eating. Right. That's true. You don't want to see that brain pulsating a little no, while you're eating. Not really. Yeah. That's the danger of having a Plus, I don't want to just hear him go on and on. Do you really just want to hear him go? Actually, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I just, he is charming. Yeah, he's very charming. As well. <laughs> he has interesting stories. No, that's, I like that one. I'd like to see more Baudet as well. Oh, I don't like man. him. I don't have to like him. No, but he does have an interesting. I mind. don't have to like Kai, <laughs> Kai Wynn, but I like seeing her on screen. That's true. Mm. Okay, that's a good. All right. I don't like Captain Booty. Uh, <laughs> I my think War says that most times he's mentioned in his presence as well. Mm. I'm pretty sure. And so does Julian. Julian doesn't. Like <laughs> that's true. I know. I, I don't like. Him. I don't see what she sees in that guy. <laughs> Other than his brain. <laughs> <laughs> my number two, the original Taylor himself, Elam Garrick, and. Odo. Oh, now, oh yeah. Now in the book A Stitch in Time, check out our most recent supplemental, mm -hmm. the spying, sewing, and spacements. Indeed. Oh, and uh, we get a beautiful uh, moments of their relationship. We do that just starts to develop in like say season seven, really, of yeah. Deep Space Nine. We do get a couple scenes of them. Biggest instance of their relationship we really get to see is when garrick has to torture well, him yeah <laughs> so yeah there's that's but they that is an important moment they reach an understanding through that moment strangely enough just given the kind of people that they are they're alike in some ways but very different in some ways I mean, mm -hmm. the two actors could just you know yeah that's <laughs> true they could uh, bounce off each other for yeah. an entire episode i'm sure yeah uh, Although, you know, that puts me in mind of one of the great gifts of the, the pandemic to all of us Trek lovers mm -hmm. was the four part alone together, uh, which gave us more Julian and Garrick, yep. a little bit of Jake Sisko and a yep. little bit of Quark and some but other people. Alas, no Odo. No Odo. Sadly missed. Yeah, but that was that was a beautiful thing and really perked me up, you know, round about March last year. Or mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, me too. April. Uh, quite excellent yeah now so my number one relationship i just want to see more of dun, 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 dun. we just number did not one. get enough of it and i did feel uh like the uh, song said the best is yet to come <sighs> cassidy yates and benjamin cisco man yeah, that's true it didn't get enough time especially no. with them as expecting parents you know yeah yeah it's um it was a really, it was beautiful to watch that relationship develop. They're two very sensitive actors, and they mm -hmm. took those scenes and the way that their They're expectations, like, their histories, their 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 understanding of history, which plays so strongly in their early relationship. You know, their initial uh, kind of uh, dalliance was very believable and fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jake uh, trying to set them up forever. <laughs> a freighter captain. <laughs> 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 I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's true because there's she's mentioned in two or three episodes, oh, particularly yeah. you know one of my favorites, the Lightship episode. Oh yeah, we uh, hear her name before we see her. Oh yeah, before I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Which is what a what a marvelous relationship. I mean, what a good one. Yeah, yeah. just beautiful. 
It's a, yeah, it might be my favorite romance in Star Trek. And we don't get to see a lot of it, but it, it, yeah. it's one of the most believable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, just so well acted. They really had chemistry. Yeah. My number one, and I must say, it's the thing when I think back on this series from Voyager, and I, I, I love Voyager, but the thing that leaves me the most sour because we had seven seasons, and I feel like this is the thing I feel like I was robbed of almost. And that is Captain Janeway and Tuvok. Oh. As go listen to our Janeway supplemental, the Janeway Protocols. As we know, their relationship goes way back, which of course they mm-hmm. hint about, but and she he's really the only person that she has, at least until she develops like newer relationships with Jacote and things. Mm-hmm. To really talk to and for these years and making these crazy decisions that no captain's ever had to make. And she does seek out his wisdom and counsel because he does. He's a very wise guy and has a lot of good insight mm-hmm. and is a bit of a flexible thinker for a Vulcan. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like he has more of a sense of humor than your average Vulcan too, you know? Oh, for sure. And he pretends he's not being funny, but he knows he is. And it's hilarious. <laughs> But <laughs> I yeah, humor. I don't think he's proud of his insight into humor. But they're also my two favorite characters on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I just feel like I was slightly robbed of my two favorite characters really interacting when really there was every reason for them to have had a lot more scenes together based sure. on their past. And there's so much space in some of the later seasons taken up with the relationship between Janeway and Seven and Nine, which I love as well. Which is good, but, but it does get it gets a huge proportion of screen time compared to some others you know yeah i just feel like there was room yeah there was room on that show for that yeah and that's why i just feel i love that show but i'm a little sour about that i wish i could have seen more janeway and tuvok maybe we can get that going forward on prodigy or something bring them back all these bring back all the (laughs) give them to us now quickly um see that was fun no crossover Mm. I wonder if that's the first time in history of top fives for us. I, I think it may be. Maybe. Yeah, so relationships. Yeah. The relationships of Star Trek. Relationships in the age of interstellar travel in itself is kind mm. of um, something that Star Trek has to address, whether it's directly or indirectly. And I've, there's some things I've noticed about that. First thing that comes to mind is like long distance relationships. And there Mm -hmm. has to be a lot of that, a lot of communication. You don't see people for a long time. What I notice about friendship in this age of interstellar travel is it's, it's all about who's around you at the moment. It seems Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like if you see some character that has uh, some sort of ceremony, whether it be a wedding or whatever, the people that they invite, like take, take Worf's best men, for example. Yes. He hadn't known, julian all that long at that like you, you're thinking oh what no no Riker or no like you know the people he had been close sure. to the enterprise like, well, yeah they, they could have been 120 light exactly years away right yeah so it, it, yeah i see what you mean the world of your relationship seems to be very much a lot less kind of long distance communication and relationships than i would have initially mm-hmm. thought i think where it's just you just spend your time and your relationship energy and time with the people that you can kind of do things with and sure that you you know you'll see again yeah yeah although i mean the interesting counterpoint of that is the way in which those precious communications that do come through from those who are far away um yeah 
they're not like they're not super common it doesn't seem like but their appearance and particularly and that's highlighted really beautifully in voyager of course Uh, and on enterprise in a number of ways as well uh the great game with the water polo match and all that sort of stuff um the finals (laughs) precisely right um (laughs) you know that that way of characterizing distance by it's almost like the arrival of the object but the arrival of missing the person at the same time is a really interesting feature of that way of living and i wonder if it wouldn't have certain kinds of parallels with life in say the age of sail uh, when people are going on these long ocean voyages and then living potentially the rest of their life in another part of the world that's so separated uh, relative to the speeds at which they can travel that writing um, letters right. yeah they, they, that's really what you've got and and that travel may take a long time in itself and that's it I, I it's a really interesting point you make about that sort of feature of consciousness that there's uh, I wonder if that that doesn't appeal to the sense of kind of rootedness in place, you know, that kind of attachment taking place on a starship uh, where, just as you say, the place where I am doesn't stay stable. Even though, you know, I wake up in the same bed every morning, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I, I may be, uh, you know, at Rigel today and, you know, tomorrow we're headed for Tellar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the... Um, yeah, the sense in which those communications are really contingent and the relationships themselves have the contingencies of deployment and that sort of thing. Now, I wonder whether we wouldn't find something different in different kinds of spacefaring arrangements. Mm-hmm. You know, like we see with, um, is it Boomer's family? Is that his name? Oh, no, he is a Boomer. Yeah, he is a Boomer. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, who, you know, these are family vessels. And in that sense... Mm-hmm your rootedness and your close relationships have a, a like a biological situatedness oh, sure. as well in terms of a related family group. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, but yeah. what we really see is a lot of Starfleet relationships. And I think you're yes. right to characterize those um, in, in that, in the sense of the contingencies of, of Starfleet life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, another thing of a uh, major part of Starfleet life, mm-hmm. interspecies relationships. Oh, yeah. Which is an interesting and very Star Trek type of relationship that we mm-hmm. see in the original series. It all starts off with the human Vulcan dynamic. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Which is a great one. That one never gets old. No. Nope. <laughs> you can do it I, again know, the, with Tuvok. Uh, you can always throw a Vulcan in there. Talin in the most recent Lower Decks. Yeah. Season. And, uh, you know, especially given the um, the questions of our own age about mechanization industrialization about the computer and the machine as opposed to those features of ourselves which we more readily identify as sort of fleshy and feely and human and sort of uh, maybe more ephemeral but maybe more primordial as well you know uh that tension is something that i think we Mm. we all still work with as well so Mm. thematically that Vulcan human relationship is really relevant, but you're right. The other species we meet from uh, attempting to draw the Kazinti captain in the slaver weapon into combat because they can't back down uh, to finding a way to, um, 
to meet each other in that in that cell between Garrick and uh, Garrick and Odo. You're right. There's there's a ton of ways in which uh, those complications form the meat of great stories. Mm-hmm. As we see on uh, Lower Decks again, uh, some Kazinti have joined Starfleet. Yeah, I thought I saw a Kazinti in mm-hmm. the background of an episode there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was very interesting. That's our second Kazinti in recent Star Trek. Yes, eh? yes. There's right. We're having trouble with Kazinti. That's right. <laughs> shields up. Yeah, shields up. I like it that his house has shields. Just getting harassed by cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of is living with cats. But um, I think the series that um, is has the most interesting take on interspecies relationship is Enterprise being it all being so new to them. Mm-hmm. So, they're, they're trying to deal with Vulcans. They don't understand that. Archer's trying to deal with Shran and Andorians, and they're all angry all the time. And he's like, I don't, I don't get this. Oh, yeah. And like, and, like, you know, him trying to figure out how to talk to a Tellarite is still one of my favorite scenes, of course. Oh, like, you're God. small and unimpressive. I'm like, what <laughs> so. a great piece of dialogue. My favorite Archer thing to him trying to, him, you know, him trying to deal with, uh, who are they? He has to do the ritual and speak all. Perfectly. Oh, that's right. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, my. Well, Picard has his great time with that, with uh, with others too. Picard, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> After they made him like chop some wood, yep. shirtless and sweaty. There's a lot of shirtless and sweaty on Enterprise. <laughs> it was a sweaty time in Starfleet. It's true. It's true. They call it the sweaty years. The sweaty years. Yeah, they get the warp five sweats. Yeah. Um, but no, the the. I love the the newness and the rough and readiness. What were the uh, uniforms they used in uh, Enterprise? Sweatsuits. Optional. (laughs) (laughs) The Deacon Tam Gel must have. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It seems to me this mission has put an end to itself. Turn around. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, no, the one of my favorite moments in that in that whole series is actually i think maybe in the pilot episode where they first show up at the uh market and you can see orion's moving around and you can see all of these different species and these three starfleet people just wander in and they are just absolutely wide-eyed and gobsmacked didn't even know there were that many kinds of aliens you know <laughs> yeah i could really relate to that moment and you, you feel their excitement at all of that exploration as well and well, while we're on the topic of Starfleet, certainly we see hierarchical relationships mm-hmm. being a, kind of a military-based show, and it's an, always an important part of Star Trek. So you know, uh, chain of command and things like that. Absolutely, and the relationships between captains and commanders, captains and lieutenants, um, command officers, bridge officers, and the lower decks. Absolutely, you know, there's a lot of different oh, yeah. relationships there, and you know they. Those kinds of interesting conflicts are part and parcel of Star Trek from early times. You know, there's I forget the episode now, but the original series episode where the Admiral takes over the ship at various points and just takes it places because he wants uh, Kirk to stop doing whatever the heck he's doing. I forget. You know, these things where people can pull rank on each other, or Wasn't the you know, Doomsday Weapon. Oh, might have been actually, yeah. Um, Not Commodore. He was that Commodore guy. Yeah, he was the Commodore guy. Yeah, yeah, I think that might be June. Um, But the other kinds of... We we do see other kinds of hierarchical relationships as well. 
mm. you know, between say the founders and the Vorta or the, the mm. founders and the oh, Jem'Hadar, yeah. yep. where the, the hierarchy is much less stable between the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar though, right? The only thing making the Jem'Hadar do anything for the Vorta is the Ketracel White, which means the founders, mm -hmm. you know? And of course we see the, uh, the way Klingons do hierarchy. <laughs> you are a coward and I challenge you for a command of the ship. Well, and and this brings us back to war, to Worf and Kern, right? Yeah. That moment where, um, at one moment, Kern is the sort of dominant, and all of a sudden he says, "No, I am the elder brother. Mm. You will do as I say and make the squadrons go this way." Yeah, you're the captain of the ship, but I am the elder brother, so I might as well be captain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no Captain Kern show; it's the Captain Worf show. Or even, you know, at the moment Sons when. <laughs> When when Worf looks at Picard and says, "You are my Chadich," yeah, the Chadich will do what I say. Yeah, the Chadich um, will be silent. Oh yeah, yeah. so good. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he may be the only person to successfully do that to Picard ever uh, in that moment, at least in the series that I can recall. Um, but yeah, hierarchical relationships have a really interesting sort of narrative power. Mm -hmm. uh, in that they they have this sort of force of authority, but they can also set up these great conflicts in terms of bringing ethical principles to bear in the immediate situation, you know? And at least depending on the one, and one side of those kind of relationships will be like, well, I've been where you're at. Because mm -hmm. in the Starfleet model and things like that, where you're just working your way up, it's like, yeah, look, I know I'm talking to you like an ensign, but I had lieutenants talk to me like an ensign and they call me Ensign Babyface, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then the other side of that, maybe one of the other worst examples of that would be, say, the drumhead, uh, where that... Which we've never talked about on this show before. You may not have heard of this episode. We certainly rarely, rarely <laughs> think of it. But, you know, there, there's a, a hierarchy that's become essentially a kind of totalitarian, authoritarian structure very quickly it's kind of metastasized very quickly and they have to do a pretty surgical thing at the end of that episode picard does to stop it mm -hmm. um so, you, know, you make so, a good point though about about like the, the the fruitful side of hierarchy the word itself has a long history but mm -hmm. it's not super long because it was coined about 1400 years ago by a guy named dionysius the areopagite oh yes or the pseudo Dionysius, if you prefer, who's very interesting uh, guy. Yeah, and fascinating. Otherwise, yeah. uh, we don't know anything about him. Might have been Syrian, but we're not sure. Educated in Athens, but coins uh, in two of his great texts, the Ecclesiastical Hierarchy and the Celestial Hierarchy. He coins the word hierarchia to take over a word uh, taxis from a guy named Proclus, who he'd clearly read a lot of. But hierarchia means. Uh, hero or hieros or holy or sacred and arche a source or arrangement so this is something that in its outset is supposed to be something that allows its members at every moment to flourish mm -hmm. where they are and, and where they'll flourish best but we also see these moments in which that hierarchy becomes <laughs> essentially a cacarchy something that just circulates misery and immiseration perfectly or near perfectly like say with uh picard, yeah picard becoming a borg or something like yeah. that right where you have this very vertical uh singular or all these hierarchy. bad roles you know like, oh yeah <laughs> it can go wrong mm -hmm. 
or even with uh, where 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 Sloan is able to kind of weave and dodge through the hierarchies that he works with, what much like Elam Garrick. What do you think of the burdens of command and how that affects your relationship? Because I would say, especially as it comes to Janeway and like Picard, because he forces it to be that way. I mean, Picard could well, have friends that, if he wanted to, but that's like, the way he understands being a commander. Yeah, yeah it's for true. sure. That's his style. But it, yeah. you're right; it's kind of her necessity. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the burdens of command is one of those things that Star Trek's really interested in, mm. in, in various ways, right? We see it, um, one of the most beautiful negative depictions of it has to be Jake Sisko's experience on the battlefield, where he sees the kind of negation of the command structure, he sees the negation of courage, he sees the negation of all these things, but nevertheless comes confronted with a real living and dying soldier on a battlefield. Great scene. Which just levels them completely, right? What a great guest actor too. He really oh yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah. Um, but at the other, you know, the other side of that, we see, as you say, those those captains and commanders who end up necessarily in a singular position where they have to do something ultimately supported but alone. Hmm. You know. Uh, so, what do you think of the burdens of command? I do find interesting the different ways the captains we see handle it. They all handle it very differently. Like you say, Picard understands this isolated view of command mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. oh, i have to remain objective and i can't like these people too much i won't be mm-hmm. able to make the right decisions when i need to and of course janeway has to force this isolation because it's just a complicated situation they're dealing with you know she's mm-hmm. struggling with objectivity already because it's you know she thinks a bit more of a family this sure sure and you know and you know and because of guilt with her she's sure. isolating herself through her guilt sure but I find Cisco is interesting too. It's like Cisco will be your friend. He just wants to scare you a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, he definitely wants you to know who's yeah who's where the buck stops. At yeah, the he does it to sure. Worf. He does it to Jadzia. You know, he just, yeah. And even Kira, he likes he, he snaps Kira right back. The first episode, she does a runaround on him, contacts the admiral. And he's, yeah, she's just like, <laughs> let me tell you why that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Kirk's command style to me is an interesting standout, maybe most closely mirrored by archers. Mm-hmm. And I think in that I sense, placing that. them in that part of the history makes yep. sense. It's more traditional, I guess. Yeah, but, you know, Kirk is, I mean, the, the whole notion of sort of cowboy diplomacy that both Spock and uh, and Bones remark on at a couple of points. Archer definitely wants to be your friend. He does. He wants to be everyone to dinner in the on, on the team. He's yeah. a big team guy. Kirk understands himself to be special. Yes. And that's he one of the, the things yeah. that makes him James T. Kirk. Yeah. And that like completely inflated sense of self is matched by deeds because it's like he throws the idea of James T. Kirk at a situation. There's no Kobayashi Maru when there's right? James T. Kirk right? on the bridge of the Enterprise. He'll just cheat. Yeah. Um, hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. A great cheater once said. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, his relationship to command is one, is athletic. Yeah. And I, in that sense... To me, he's very much like Archer, but he's also very much like Riker, particularly mm-hmm. the Riker we meet in Lower Decks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I love Riker, Lower Decks, Riker. He's like, what are we doing? We're going to awesome! have to shoot our way out. <laughs> but again, you can Give see. Give me one, three. Oh. 
one of the interesting <laughs> things I find is when when we see the crew of the Titan, they have such a different character than the crew of the Enterprise. They're a bunch of yahoos. Oh yeah, and he 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 got the crew he wanted. <laughs> absolutely right, but the uh, their remark about oh yeah, string concertos, you can really see the way in which one of the burdens of command or the realities of command is that the style influences the whole culture of the ship. And that's yeah. true institutionally as well, right? If you got a bad manager up top that you can't dislodge, that's just terrible to everybody, but no one can do anything about, your your dynamic in that group is going to develop in certain very particular guarded self-protective ways. And that could well be something more like the command style that we see, say, uh, on Cardassian ships, where there's an awful lot of infighting and constant plotting against each other. Uh, and the captain is elevated even more so on the Cardassian ship. Oh, even like, the, like the even way we the see the structure. They're, they, they're expected to take a cut of whatever they're hauling. Mm-hmm. And everything. Just, mm-hmm. The captain have a lot of privileges on a Cardassian ship. Well, and the, 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 the Deep Space Cardassians Nine is a station a little bit makes that point really well, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the way the office is so yeah, high oh, yeah, up exactly. those steps and everything. Yeah, uh, they remark on that at a couple of points. They you know? do, yeah. Uh, they like to look down. Ducat like to look down. Absolutely, see what was going on. Uh, yeah, and so that verticality is something that that gets remarked on a lot of times. You know, whereas you think about the the I love the the structure of the Klingon bridge, where the captain is literally like in the middle of this red space, surrounded by these pipes that are like arteries. It's like he's just a heart. Yeah. Or whichever, yeah, you know, the just, just beating away. And right. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful evocation of what they are yeah. as a spacefaring people, their relationship to spacefaring and each other, uh, that they really need to have that thumping the consoles, let's get moving kind of song happening, you know? Yeah. And I like um, when Jadzia describes how it works, and Chief's just like, what? How do you? How does the ship run if everyone's plotting to kill each other? She's like, "Oh no, it's not that bad." Like, <laughs> I mean, they are all plotting to kill each other, but it's like you know, most of them aren't going to act on it. <laughs> yeah. Like lots of fist fights, very yeah. few murders. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, uh, <laughs> you know. Alexander gets in the fight. She's like, "Hey, but people's just going to cut him a bit." <laughs> you made think, just him. a whole ship full of Jane Cobb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to get me in here. Oh I'll, man, I'll be in my bunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of his best lines. Yeah. Oh, he has oh, to oh. say it twice in that episode. That's true. <laughs> this is not a Firefly podcast, but no. I love Firefly. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, shiny. Yeah, oh, very shiny. Um, now what about now one of the things that we didn't talk a whole lot about before Mm -hmm. when we were talking about uh sort of generally relationships but we touched on particularly in starfleet was and you know this is going to touch on eras and moments in starfleet and the federation's history differently is family relationships Mm -hmm. in space and particularly in this case um in the kinds of space travel we see in Star Trek, particularly, we're seeing a lot of exploratory and military forces interacting, you know, state institutional groups. I think as far as like a traditional idea of a family 
because you know on most shows they end up considering each other family the clues mm-hmm. by the end of mm-hmm. it, and that's perfectly fine as well um a lot of, it's understood beautifully under the notion of what's called fictive kinship mm-hmm. right the families we paint together yeah as opposed to being born into but i think the series that we see the most family relationships on is by far deep space nine of course because they're in a stationary place but we get to see of course the uh ben cisco jake cisco joseph cisco mm-hmm. family relationship mm-hmm. and of course when cassidy joins yeah um, we also get the Ferengi family. Yes. Okay. And the O'Briens. And the O'Briens, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Those were certainly the three I was thinking of. And mm-hmm. probably the three most prominent family relationships we see in all of Star Trek, all on that one show, I think. Certainly the ones that we spend the most time on. Absolutely. I mean, we certainly have things like, um, you know, uh, Sarek and Spock. Sure, and, sure. But sure. they don't really like each other. And Naomi Wildman, <laughs> uh, subunit of Ensign Wildman. Oh, yeah, she is a subunit, but uh, we, very, we don't see Samantha very often. No. We, we've no, more seen Naomi. That one time she like, gets stuck in a shuttlecraft, we see a lot of her, but that's about it. And when she gives uh, birth to Naomi Wildman. That's Wild. true. That's true. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, those, those, you're right, they're probably the the families we spend the most time with. And of course, I guess you could potentially count unimatrices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I guess we sort of debated which is closer, a unimatrix or a family on yeah. a debate. I've on. thought a lot about that question after that <laughs> debate. Man, some of those stick It was a good you. debate. Um, and, you know, I wonder whether there wouldn't be a sense of home and family just because of the sort of orientation in the drones, whether they're conscious of anything at all, really. And they speak of like a comfort that it gives you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least seven would. It's like it's not. Well, and peace. You feel comfortable in this collective. She's like, it's not yeah. like terrible all the time as you might imagine. No, I mean, I, th- I think most board are limited, just, certainly. But yeah, but they're just calm all the time. They're just they're chill, in that sense, you know. But like you know, you're constantly being, I guess you could say, entertained or distracted, being bombarded by information like all the time, or whenever you oh, want yeah. it. Oh yeah. Yeah, for talk, sure. If you have want. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if yeah. The drone. That's. Yeah, that's true. Want is probably irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think she says that at some point. Yeah. But, you know, the family relationships in an extended way, we see particularly with Joseph Sisko and some others. And then there's the relationships that persist aboard a starship. And one of the, I mean, the first place in Star Trek that we see that, other than, uh, what is it, Star Trek two or three, where we first see uh, Kirk's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, David. Is exactly yeah, David. Another um, Dave is um, one of the Daves we know. We know. Sorry, another <laughs> deep historical Canadian cut there. Uh, but no, the the relationship um, that I'm thinking about are the the, the families on the Enterprise D. The fact that there are children and families aboard is one of the things that initially set it apart from the the original enterprise what is this boy doing on my bridge right mm. uh that family relationship particularly wesley and beverly That's another uh, one, yeah. and to jean-luc as well is a really interesting relationship uh but yeah the fact that that was a relatively short-lived piece of starfleet history is also interesting to me you know the design from what i understand the design lineage of the Nebula, Galaxy, New Orleans, all those sort of sets of classes mm-hmm. um, was intended because they were looking forward to something that was largely peacetime. Now, by largely peacetime, we still mean that like the Cardassian border wars were happening on and off throughout this. Oh, yeah. There was there were fights with the Talarians and all sorts of people, but 
the Zen Kenton. There weren't massive wars with the Romulans or the Klingons or mm -hmm. somebody like that, which had so dominated their their perspective that in Kirk's time they very much were a fairly militarized ship in some ways. So the idea with these newer sort of Brahms led designs mm -hmm. were to have a more pacific, a more exploratory, you know, get to back to that time when we were explorers, feel about them. But it meant that they sent and families into military. space. Absolutely. Now, interestingly, this has historical relations with a period that I've spent some time on, which is... Blimps. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Zeppelins. No, the, the, the early months and years of the First World War were characterized in England by something called Kitchener's New Army, mm. which were, which was in large part composed in its newer recruits of something called PALS battalions. Those would be a battalion of people uh, drawn up from a particular area, a town, you know, Lancashire mm -hmm. or uh, the 51st Highlanders or wherever we're going to go from. Uh, many of these uh, regiments were drawn up with brothers fighting side by side and all sorts of things such that once the disasters of 1914, 1915 and early into the Battle of the Somme in 1916, summer had shown their terrible toll, that sort of troop arrangement was broken up mm. because the populations back home, the families just could not endure a whole town getting the letter notice that, you know, Johnny or Timmy or Billy or whoever it is, is gone or in a hospital somewhere with, you know, serious, terrible wounds or whatever it is. Right. So the casualties became so brutal that they had to change the way they organized because of their fundamental understanding of the, the, the function of the family and of the fabric of the nation that these people were off shooting people about, mm -hmm. uh, you know that it would it would end up just tattered if if they let that go on, um, and I think we see that happen in Starfleet and the Federation as well because the ships that we see coming out after, say, Wolf Three Five Nine, or after the beginning of the Dominion, yeah, War, then they're militarizing again, right? We're getting the Defiant, the the Sabers, the the, the Nobles, Child, whatever that, right? Uh, the Akira classes, which are all very small, very heavily armored, uh, heavily shielded, high weapon power ships built to destroy Borg cubes or defend the borders of the Federation. Whatever that fancy thing was Riker had a fleet of in the Picard series. Oh, yeah. I forget what the name of that class is. The Shen, does, he, Shen Zao, does he say? Or, I think that the class is named. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. I think, but I don't yeah. remember what it is. I'll see if I can find it. Maybe yeah. for the next trivia game. Yeah, next, well, well, there you go. <laughs> We always have reasons to remember this stuff later. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such as my man. Yeah, I certainly. I think the, the the family relationship. I think I enjoy on the most levels though is the Ferengi one. It's so good. Oh, and we gosh. get three generations. We get Moogie and Rome. Uh -huh. Nog. Of yeah. course, Uncle Quark. Cousin Gala. Cousin Gala. Yeah. In, yeah. In an Eliminator Lek feels like family. Oh. Gosh, one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek. Honestly, why did you call an Eliminator? <laughs> I don't care for that. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty great. Just throws knives at the wall for no reason sometimes. 
<laughs> he's a little spastic, but he's really nice. <laughs> he's nice um, but yeah. definitely not Brunt. No. Oh, liquidator Brunt. Liquidator Brunt. Brunt. FCA. But, you know, in a way, it's sort of a family member in that family. He's Zek, too, by the end. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we just get to see a lot there, too. A lot of different relationships. Maybe could have seen more Rom and Nog relationship. That maybe could have made our list earlier. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But we certainly get to see a lot of uh, brotherly love. Um. <laughs> Such as it is among Ferengi brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, what? Nog and Nog and uh, sorry, my Rob brother. And Quark's What's he going to do? He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no surprise. If anyone talks about Ron for any reason, like, what? It's true. Like, why? Why? Why are you even thinking about yeah. it? <laughs> it's clearly irrelevant to this business negotiation. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, but a Frankie family is pretty funny. You know, it's very much like a, a kind of a business-minded family where you know they mm -hmm. well which rule of acquisition is it treat your friends like you treat your family exploit them. exploit them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we'll get to that in the uh <laughs> Eter teaching eternal or avoiding eternal destitution for humans oh that yeah. haven't been there in a while we'll get to that maybe in our tragedy episode because there's nothing <laughs> more tragic true. than losing latin destitution yeah um but yeah i mean i think the point you made earlier about family also in these situations being composed of the friendships we kind of contingently fall into family being who we make it uh and compose it of it's a really lovely enduring theme i think in all of star trek those mm -hmm. relationships that the characters build that i think the writers notice and realize that both you know the actors they're writing for the characters those people are playing yep. just work really well on screen you know, um, and even in a more humor driven show and in, in an animated one like Lower Decks, mm -hmm. they're still not forgetting that. Aspect. Oh, no, they're still like tie starting to tie that crew together, even with the lower deckers with the upper deckers. Yeah, like, I particularly like the episode where uh, Tandy and Tandy, Tandy, sorry, uh, Tandy and uh, Mariner go off on their own. They're like, yeah, we've never done this before. Girls peak. We don't, we don't spend time <laughs> together. They realize they don't know anything about each other. That's it's a really great sort of meta way to make that joke, right? Mistress of the winter constellation. <laughs> yeah, I don't really like to go by that. Orion, some Orions haven't been pirates in nearly five years. Oh, yeah, she's just like, How do I act like a pirate? She walks in, Yar ye matey. <laughs> What are you doing? Oh man! But yeah, that's a great one. I also love uh, Shaxx and his baby bear. Oh yeah, Shaxx and his baby. <laughs> baby bear, I'm coming, baby bear. <laughs> Shaxx is amazing. Oh, and those those friendships span careers. You know, yeah. um, uh, we've talked about this episode. I'm sure never before either. But the wounded. Uh, oh, with Captain Maxwell and O'Brien, you know, uh, their friendship or the friendship which uh, brings Picard into contact with that Bolian guy. That episode that we didn't uh, know, it's just a freaking beautiful thing. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's just, we it's, talk about it all the time. Just thinking about it now, I'm starting to be like, oh, it's, it's, one of, it's one of the real heights of TNG as a series. Just, oh yeah, writing wise for sure. Um, but yeah, those relationships will span entire careers. Mm -hmm. And they can determine the development of those careers as well, you know. Uh, or in this kind of, a, 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 what do we call it, an economy of experience, mm -hmm. uh, yep. the, the relationship itself can be determined by uh, 
the directions people choose. You think about the rift that developed in the relationship between Dr. Galen and Captain Picard. Oh, yeah. Uh, where Galen really felt Picard betrayed and abandoned him because he didn't pursue archaeology uh, in any direct way. You know, and, and, and that's how work, work, that's how Quark felt about Nog not going into business. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Rom's supportive. He's a great guy. But <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like, what do you Rom, mean? You're, he's an idiot. <laughs> you, you mean you're giving up profit? Like, what is, what is, what is even happening? You know, yeah. Very disappointing. Or one of the relations, you know, this could also have made the list. But, and I've, I've mentioned it before, mm-hmm. but the relationship between the Bajorans and the Scria is also one of those things that God, is, that was complicated early. oh and such like such a brutal uh it's like are we turning away refugees yeah yeah i think we are yeah, think, yeah that's, that's that's where we've doing. arrived and and the beauty and that should actually be that should make our tragedy episode don't you guys have an entire empty continent yeah but <laughs> you know if we put you there it won't be empty and <laughs> we just got it back you know, uh, yeah. yeah, the sense that you have these two sets of real, honest, substantive goods clashing, and somewhere in there, the good has to lose for the good to prevail. Uh, yeah, that relationship to me has all kinds of heartache and potential in it. Uh, so much of that with the Bajorans and certain Bajorans specifically as well. Like you, they, they, even after the occupation, they're being put through the ringer. They, oh, yeah. Never, they're, you know, well, their relation battles and philosophical and battles they have to fight and mm-hmm. choices they have to make. It's... Well, and none of those relationships are settled. You're right. Not the governmental relationship isn't settled. No nope. social relations have been completely revolutionized. Right. There's no caste and things anymore. Their religious even. thing is all in kerfuffle. Like you're right. They're like their economy is nuts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you think about the kind of the, the kind of trauma that that world is going to carry uh, and try and heal from, and we we see that come to bear as uh, again against uh, with with the Scria, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. actually, while we're on that, what do you think of the relationship between the Bajorans and say the Prophets? Oh gosh, uh, again, it's 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 a it's a really elegant way for star trek to encounter the question of uh religious conviction uh and sort of cultural orientation in ways that um i think kind of exceed what the original series or tng were able to do for the most part uh because you get this long form meditation on what the Bajoran relationship to themselves, mm. to their to their prophets, to the to the institutions, the Vedics, the assembly, all that stuff that exists to kind of mediate the prophets and and the Bajorans. It's just quite a unique relationship in Star Trek. It's oh yeah, to see yeah, laid out in many other ways. Well, and and that to Hang me, on one with Kalas maybe. That yeah, but, uh, to me, one of the most extraordinary things in that whole complex that they show is the the fact of the orbs of the prophets Mm -hmm. like that that is that to me is really interesting right because that that is like a direct communication yeah and it's about as it's it's about a relationship like it's literally like they have these boxes that contain burning bushes Mm. you know like see no 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 the prophets are real 
<laughs> the, the thing's right. You can't not say the prophet is right over there. Go touch that orb and meet the prophets. I mean, right? like, like I'm always telling you, you just got to have an orb experience. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's a phrase we hear several times in the in the uh yeah. in the series as well, right? Uh yeah, I think it's it's a wonderful wonderful uh confounding of time and eternity and place and uh yeah, just oh. I couldn't say enough good things about the prophets. Well, I think the type of relationship we probably see the most of in Star Trek is the friendships. Mm -hmm. um, and those are some of the relationships I think we probably enjoy the most in Star Trek. Your O'Brien and Bashirs. Oh, sure. You know. Yeah. Uh, the very complex friendship. Your, uh, your Tom and, and Harry's. Sure. Yeah. Your, sure. your friendships. Your buddies. Worf and O'Brien as drinking buddies are some of my favorite scenes. <laughs> oh, O'Brien no. desperately oh, no. <laughs> trying to keep up with a Klingon. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, well, if you know what, we can skip, skip the drinking and just start talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or everybody's favorite pal, Nick Fontaine. Oh, he's everyone's pally. But, you know, that's... An, Especially ours. To me, that's an interesting, interesting relationship they develop. And partly, I love it that they just lean so hard into that '60s aesthetic, mm. uh, kind of the Vegas, LA aesthetic almost. But well, him and Nog's friendship is great. I, that's that's just what I was saying. Mm. The kind of therapeutic quality mm -hmm. that Vic has demonstrates one of the primary functions of the Hollow Suites, but does it in a way that's so lively. It's almost a bit of a mentorship going on there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And what Nog's able to do for him is quite beautiful as well. Uh, yeah. That and a good heist. Oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> oh, when Frankie Eyes comes to town, yeah. yeah, they call me Frankie Eyes. But those those friendships also can define other moments, right? Like the the Jordan friendship, Data's another thing. yeah, the friendship between Spock and is it Legate Parn, uh, who brings him to Romulus, uh, defines oh. a whole era of Pardak. Pardak, sorry, Pardak. That's right. Um, Legate Parn would have been a Cardassian. That's right. Uh, yeah, so when Pardek brings them out there, yeah. uh, it's like that That all rests on their friendship, the possibility of developing friendship with between Romulus and Vulcan yeah. more widely. That they just kept going since they met at Kittimer. So they yeah. just noticed like a similar and whether, future between their people. Whether Pardek was cultivating them the whole time or whether, which I think is more likely... Uh, the Tal Shiar got interested in it and just put pressure on him slowly over time that made it impossible not to do this to Spock. Yeah. Um, Who knows? Yeah. It's hard to say. His the, the the last scene they have together is very ambiguous that way. And of course, like the maybe the friendship we see the most of is probably Tom and Harry. You know, they're always playing their holodeck games. Oh yeah. Captain Protons and playing some ice hockey. <laughs> Chasing after those Delaney sisters, hanging out at the Sandrines. Well, and even their their conception of their own friendship is interesting too, because Harry always protests his station in the friendship. Yeah, because he doesn't want to be Tom Paris's his little buddy, <laughs> his little buddy. <laughs> but he was in the first he's... episode. He saved him from court, taking yeah. all his money. Yeah, and we see a similar thing there with Boiler and Mariner too. Oh yeah. Uh, they, he, they he doesn't want to be her little buddy, but he does want to be her friend. 
and she's not sure how to let him be her friend because he's such a weird nerd. <laughs> but she does like him as her little buddy. Almost, well, she's you know? a weird nerd too. Like if you know thing about that show, but if she let him get close enough, she would end up revealing her weird nerdiness, right? And I yeah. think that's why she does that yeah. with him, honestly. Mariner and Boimler pretty much know everything about every ship. They know like what <laughs> you're eating in ten forward on the Enterprise in episode season three, episode forty five. Like, those two know everything. But then, like Mariner has gaps, like she doesn't know what a Ferengi is. She's like, I don't think that's a Ferengi. He's like, that's clearly a Ferengi. Look at his big ears and beady eyes, and this like <laughs> maniacal, like. <laughs> I love it that he does not get that, like, she's just giving him that moment. (laughs) Clearly, I know what a Ferengi is. Oh, God, that's great. I think Uh, that's a Bolian. (laughs) That Bolian. I've made that mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the other friendship we see the most of is Bashir and O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, which I love. And they have some real ups and downs. Every scene of it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> like the, really and, but I think it's it's probably a good two and a half seasons mm. that O'Brien really just doesn't like Bashir at all. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's this guy again. Yo, just God, he just wants to play like, racquetball again. Well, you know, Julian, you're just one of those kind of guys where you either, you know, love you or, you know, hate you. you know, <laughs> Like for me, for example, oh, I used to hate you. <laughs> and Julian's just like, and now he's just like, and now I, I don't. <laughs> uh, the relationship is so good. Oh yeah, they're yeah. like drinking. They're all like, dr- like really drunk at Chiefs. He's just like, they're like singing that Jerusalem song. Like, oh yeah, that was beautiful. Let's take it to Quarks. <laughs> They're gonna go sing it at Quarks. I've had that impression of myself. Before. Oh yeah, I don't know the Taylors have had their moments. I suppose. Oh man. Um, but yeah, I mean, we see. We could probably talk about the friendships of Star Trek for the the rest of this episode. Yeah, but you know, and there are some that are very, you know, of course, like your um, Picard and uh, Guinan. Mm-hmm. There's some some that we don't get to see. But we know are very established, like your Cisco and Jadzia as well. Yeah, yeah. And there's some that we get to actually, yeah, see develop. Yeah, I mean, Tom Paris and Bellana is an interesting friendship mm-hmm. that way, and you know, it spills over into being a romance. But I mean, they really start off. She just loathes him. Just cannot stand. Oh, he's a mocking traitor, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think she's she really sees him him in particular as pretty sketchy, even for the rest of the monkey. Like he's he's sketched out. Well, look, the first season, Tom Paris doesn't have many redeemable qualities. He's just That's true. Very skeezy with the ladies. <laughs> Everything he says yeah. is a bit gross. Yeah, yeah. Tom Paris grows on you, but I think he's supposed to. That you know. He... Well, part of that part of that show, I think, is about him finding relationships that he can like settle into and not have to try and be a tough guy or whatever mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think a lot of that's founded in his relationship with his clearly highly successful and, and, and decorated father. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the romantic relationships of Star Trek? We've, you were speaking oh, yeah. earlier, of course, about Cassidy and Ben. Mm-hmm. Great romantic relationship, uh-huh. and of course, Tom and Bellana. You were just talking. Oh yeah, about. lovely moment outside in the dark, and their space suits kind of changes their hearts for each other. Yep, 
Yep. Well, and Jadzia and Worf is one of the great uh, of Star Trek. When the beating of two Klingon hearts come together. That, ah, the end of that episode is just, well, the whole episode is great. Extraordinarily funny. But also the end of the episode where they, they do that, uh, the, well, the sacrament of Klingon marriage is really, like they really kind of bring you on to what amounts to Klingon sacred space there. And it's, it's, it's marvelous in that moment. You can't uh, use real Vishnu candles. Try not to use such obvious fakes. <laughs> Magnificent. Isn't she? <laughs> You've grown fat and your hair has gone gray. My deterioration has continued at pace. <laughs> That's my favorite line that Murtaugh ever said. He's just so completely different in that moment. He's like, yeah, I'm a rugged old Klingon who was in prison for the four years or whatever. <laughs> like, yes, dear. Yeah. Nice to see you. <laughs> He's just like, there'll be many battles and I won my share. But I know deep in my heart that she will win the war. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think he'd have it any other way. No. Uh... Yeah, it's a very, again, a very agonistic kind of romance is the Klingon one. All those moments when Jadzia and Worf were coming into sickbay again <laughs> at the start of the relationship. They get in <laughs> trouble because it's affecting their duty. He's in as bad shape as she is normally. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, again, uh, one of those dimensions of Jadzia and Curzon's relationship with the Klingon life that is, uh, yeah, just delicious. Jadzia meets that Klingon she's she's just like oh my mother met the great Curzon Dag he was quite taken with her (laughs) yeah that's Curzon (laughs) taken with a lot of people Uh, (laughs) and of course the great romance of Quark and Lady Grilka mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's a Klingon love story if there ever was one brought to us the house of quark it did yeah. and an act of pure love and certainly not of profit <laughs> no. gives it back to go <laughs> yeah he really they come to a really interesting kind of understanding with each other uh by the end of that episode yeah they generally really like each other yeah yeah they really do and the rest of the klingons hate the fact that she likes a Ferengi. <laughs> Worf hates it. <laughs> He's so mad. And everyone just thinks Grilka's so magnificent. And Jedzy's just like, I don't think she's so hot. <laughs> sure, I love the sort of triangle in that episode. Eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. And he's like, hey, just look over here, dumbass. Yeah, Come whatever. on. <laughs> oh. So I don't walk in with Klingon bodyguards, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know ridges, just spots, jeepers. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, thing on romance is, of course, the most interesting. Yeah, and I think we see uh, Enterprise gives us some really interesting moments of particularly interspecies romance. Mm-hmm. A lot of them involving Trip. Well, yeah, uh, Trip. Uh, he's got a lot of natural comedy in him. Yeah, uh, and he charms Flox's wife, or one of Flox's wives. Uh, Didn't have to do much. No, that's Flox's true. Wife. She, she was she was ready for charming, yeah, for a charming uh, young engineer type fella. Yeah, uh, bit of a southern accent, maybe. I love Flox's advice to him as well. It's like, man, go for it. You're talking like, about a primed, 
it's like you'd be mad not to yeah. essentially uh and those that sense of the sort of the ethics of uh <laughs> well i'll cer- certainly miss you civic personality uh, mr Tucker. <laughs> but like the ethics of those romances are really interesting as well right because some of them end up very complicated mm-hmm. uh like in uh, some if perhaps if one of you is a bully and can be quite dangerous as one understands, I guess they have to have specially prepared quarters when they're being crew on starships because they uh, they eat through the normal sorts of facilities. Their their fluids. Um, you thought Mott used scissors to? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Uh, what is that waxy substance? Oh, pay it no mind. <laughs> Better you don't think about it. It's bullying. <laughs> Um, yeah I think we also see romance evolve in Star Trek too right Mm -hmm. I was watching uh, the first and second season of TNG Mm -hmm. with uh, my little fella and at one point he remarked is like does Riker do this all the time we were on Angel 1 Oh, and he's like what is Riker wearing dad I said it's it's role reversal. It's supposed to be funny. And he's like, might oh. be a shirt, might be a kerchief. Okay, no. <laughs> then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, some of those things don't age as well. Mm. Uh, but some of the depictions of romance we see do age really beautifully well. You know, especially say uh, back again to that to that moment with Spock and uh I've forgotten her name, so I'll call her Romulan Commander. Charvenek. Charvenek, there you go. Uh which is Kind of beautiful scene, or 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 uh, the love that develops between. Now I've forgotten her name as well. Uh, uh, and Khan, you know uh, the oh. the scientist that decides to leave with him. Yeah, geez, I forget her uh, name too. Which is part of the reason he comes back after Kirk in the end, right? Because she couldn't handle it, whereas he and his augments could. Got to tell you though, Khan, not all that charming in space seat. I don't really know what she saw in him. I mean, handsome fella. Yeah, but, uh, she seems particularly attracted to power, confidence, and power. Yeah, yeah he's got that. <laughs> oh, in spades, uh, he may be the only person who has more self confidence than James T. Kirk. Well, they say when you're <laughs> augmented, it raises everything. Yeah, yeah. except for Julian, or at least he hides it well. That's true. Damn. He's probably the most balanced augment we ever see. What uh, about did you mention Khan, enemy or? Nemesis oh. or antagonistic relationships yeah, yeah. in the Star Trek. Of course, Kirk and Khan's a great one. Yeah. Kirk and, um, um, you, know, you know, Krug. Yeah. yeah. Krug. You killed my son. Come on, bastard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, and again, Picard and his great white whale, the Borg. Yeah. Uh, they broke your little ship. Uh, of course, perhaps the greatest one, uh, Cisco and Ducat. Oh, or even gosh. Kira and Ducat. Everybody in Ducat. Yeah, he really <laughs> had a he. He had a, like the opposite of charm. Uh, he acts like he wants to be your friend. Oh yeah, and it's gross even when he's doing that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, I think maybe my 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 favorite pair of enemies uh, would be Data and Lore. Oh, that's a good one. Just because Data doesn't want that relationship the whole time. No. It's maybe the most pure expression of that 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 I know of in, in Trek. 
And Laura's just implacably malicious toward him. And of course, Cisco has two. Like, so the Starfleet officer, Mm -hmm. his biggest enemy is Skull Ducat. Mm -hmm. But the emissary, Kai Wynn, is like, it's just as big an enemy. That's true. But he's also got a third great enemy. For whom he is the founder. Javert. Oh, whoa, wow! I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, of yeah. course. That's the oh, that's his best one in a way. I mean, that that, that <laughs> guy is the enemy of the uniform. Yeah, right. Which is, I mean, that that's the metaphorical depths of Cisco's yeah. soul, right there. Uh, Change your uniform. Oh yeah, he he he. Uh, I think we can honestly say hates Eddington in a way that only Ducat in that cave is really able to bring out of him as well. And that, that is a crazy episode. And like Eddington always knows where Ben's coming from. Like Ben's trying to figure out what, how Eddington turned into that. You know, he's just like, Oh, I thought he was a good officer. And, but you know, Eddington's always like, I was, I was like you, Ben. I know where you're coming from all the time. He's always one step ahead of him too. He understands how Ben thinks. He's like, I used to think like you. Then I grew tomatoes. They were delicious. Yeah. I joined the monkey. <laughs> it, it is an odd story when you paraphrase it like that. <laughs> Although, honestly, a really good sun ripened tomato oh, yeah. is pretty much akin to a religious experience. Let's so, just so I'm in my honest. greenhouse outside. Yeah. And it's getting a bit cold here in uh, Nova Scotia, let me tell you. Indeed. Starting two. Starting two. Uh, yeah, enemy relationships are present. Star Trek works with, and sometimes that's allowing an enemy. To be an enemy, like with Ducat, sometimes it's finding a way to end that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like they seem to have done with the Klingons, and sometimes it's a way mm-hmm. to turn an enemy into a friend, like with the Andorians or some of the other species that they initially have conflict with. Sometimes you're on again, off again, like Worf and Galron, right? And eventually... oh, ah, forget all that <laughs> stuff in the past. It's nice to see you. Ah. Come with me. No. I hate you, Wolf. <laughs> I banish your family and I take your lands. <laughs> you couldn't see that because this is an audio podcast, but I did the Gowron look. The, the, the Gowron eye look, yeah. yeah. Wish there was a sound for that. <laughs> like, uh, uh, that lovely growl. That's your Gorn impression. <laughs> My Gorn impression is... My mistake. <laughs> like, it's... It's a subtle difference. <laughs> but well defined. Thank you. Yeah. You don't want to hear my bullying impression. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for the next bug. <laughs> Gotta give people reason to tune in. Oh, that's true. Tune next, next time, time for Dave's bullying noises. <laughs> <laughs> what could he possibly be talking about? <laughs> don't worry. It's caustic. Um, All right, well, we're talking about enemies, <laughs> and of course, you know, there's Janeway and the Borg Queen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if I... I guess uh, Archer's biggest thing was Zindi, maybe. Yeah, and the Sulaban mm. for a while oh, there. Yeah, Silic. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yes, yeah. They were an enemy they could have made more of. Yeah. But uh, the temporal war thingy just made it, I think, really hard. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, you know, you could call these types of relationships dysfunctional relationships but do we have sure. any other examples of dysfunctional relationships oh, gosh. In Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> let me let me just start a short list uh, um none of them that involve elam gary because of course those are all dysfunctional but purposely mm-hmm. 
the ga- <laughs> are they the gatherers? Is that what they're called? The it's one of the great, uh, lovely dysfunctional uh, episode. That's a TNG. Uh, is it the? Is that where it is? The gather? Yeah, the vengeance factor, which I think a third or fourth season episode of TNG, which is an episode about this long-running historical conflict between factions of a particular species, one of which was driven off the planet and roam around uh, doing sort of raiding and low-level kind of black market trading. Mm. And while bringing the leader of these people around, you'll remember now, I'm sure. Uh, Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, While bringing the leader of this people around uh the Akamarians, uh to meet these gatherers they're sort of hived off uh displaced portion of their population leaders among the gatherers and others start to die and it's revealed eventually by the end that the Akamarian uh, sort of leader's bodyguard her servant is this genetically altered living revenge weapon mm-hmm. who's over a hundred years old, has long ex- has exceeded the lifespan of a normal Akamarian, and exists only to get close to leaders uh, or members of this particular clan of gatherers who were responsible for massacring her own clan. Mm. So this sense of this generations-long historical vendetta plays out with the Enterprise as a sort of unwilling instrument or unwitting instrument of all of these murders. Uh, yeah, deeply dysfunctional. One of the other more dysfunctional things we've seen is the relationship of the people that on that planet that Kaiopaka lands on and has oh, to yeah. stay on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's dysfunctional. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, and you know, Seska and anybody. Yeah. She's a bit of a dysfunctional character. Yeah. The, um, the Cloud Minders is also a great episode of uh, TOS that shows a profoundly dysfunctional relationship that to me sort of evokes the relationship between the uh, the Morlocks and the surface dwellers oh, yeah. and Wells is the time traveler, you know, the time machine. Mm-hmm. This sense of a sort of subterranean, but they flip it, right? Mm-hmm. The subterranean ones in this case are the uh, I think the, the servants and the other ones living above the clouds are these uh, people who simply live a life of bliss because of the immiseration of these surface dwellers and, yeah. and, and others. And so, oh, there's the other one, that great uh, early TNG episode about the two species, one of which is addicted to the cure for this yeah, disease that yeah. the other one produces. Yeah, uh, But they're actually just keeping them addicted to it and they don't even need it. Yeah. 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 The disease would have died out long ago by now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a bad one. Yeah. The intentional sort of addiction and this, of another it, and I'm telling you, there's dysfunction at Starfleet Academy. At least with, what? At least with your your. Are you elite. slandering Red Squad again? Look, or Nova Squadron as well? I think wasn't it? I've made it very clear that I believe if we took the masks off all these elite squadrons, we would find bad girls. Yeah. Hmm. I'm very clear. Very clear about that point. Well, Starfleet Security used them. Uh, exactly, precisely for there's that. Dysfunction at Starfleet Command too. Let me tell you there. Well, they did allow themselves to get completely infiltrated by a weird worm thing in uh, in TNG right at uh, the end of season one. There, mm-hmm. um, Remick. Yeah, 
They've had a oh gosh, it, it feels like when once you get to Admiral in Starfleet, <laughs> you either just become a total jerk or break bad. Mm. Yeah, we see very few well depicted admirals in Starfleet. <laughs> it's not it, it's not a good uh, character to show up as. <laughs> well, you know, what? I think we're getting near the end here, but I think we have to talk about the most important type of relationship in Star Trek first. Save the best for last. Okay. The business relationships of Star Trek. Because oh. as you know, there is no more important relationship than that of a business <sighs> transaction. Sailing the great material continuum. It can be treacherous. It can be. But yeah, uh, business relations dominate an enormous amount. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Mostly with Ferengis. We're not on Ferenginar. Mm-hmm. I think part of what we see about the Federation is that one of the weird things about them is that for a society <laughs> that's not interested in, at least at the Starfleet and at the level of humans, doing much with money, they're extremely wealthy and intensely productive. And they love trade. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're Bones and you're trying to book passage. Oh, that's true. That's true. It to to Genesis. Yeah. 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 How can I get a damned permit to do a damned illegal thing? <laughs> Take permits many. Ooh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there be any permits. The the level on which we see business operating is interesting because we see everything from uh, the Orion Syndicate, the Orion Syndicate to space junkyards. Yep. Operated by Dukagen. planetary systems, right? Mr. Dockagen. Uh, we see restaurants. We yep. see uh, dive bars where they uh, yeah. they wonder if they know any Klingon opera. Holodeck arcades. Right? Uh, we see a lot of things. Uh, street side vendors, fabric vendors, all sorts, you know. Oh, yeah, you got to get your gormagander on a stick. Right? There's all sorts of commerce. Uh, and we see a lot of marketplaces in Lower Decks. You're right. Lower Decks uh, and Discovery, too. Yeah. Get to uh, see more of that side. Even Picard, when they go down to, like, Free Cloud and stuff like that. For sure. I mean, we see an awful lot of commerce and trade going on. And, and of course, we touches on a lot of that in our economics episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's that scene, and it makes me think of when I think of, like, the business relationship in Star Trek. When Quark is talking to that Vulcan female that he's oh yeah of, yeah 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 taking yeah, a bit of yeah. a shine to and he's explaining to her how business relationships work because she wants to buy weapons he immediately finds her interesting but you know he's trying to give her wine and all this stuff she's like is this really necessary like we just need to do you yeah. have weapons yes i will buy them like yeah she's like no 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 business relationship is the most important relationship there is of course we have to have the wine and we have to do the whole song and dance it's like what are we doing here yeah you know <laughs> i mean i don't want to sell you weapons oh that's true i mean for quark it's Gala does. quark loves the chase yeah he loves the pursuit and in, in many ways i think you could say quark loves the romance yeah. of business and profit yeah he's a people person that's true and a latinum ferengi uh, that wharf, you know, doesn't share much with his bartender. <laughs> but there's another that's that's a really good point. <laughs> the uh, that's that's a business relationship for Quark, but mm-hmm. he makes sure to be both attentive and exhortative and also to make sure you pay your bill. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, no, 
It's the perfect place to be. I mean, if you're looking for business deals or inside tips, you know, mm-hmm. run a bar. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Loose lips. Well, and particularly where he's situated, right, on the what's suddenly become the hottest piece of real estate in the Alpha Quadrant. That's why Zek was impressed. He's like, that's very smart, Quirk, knowing that was going to happen. He's just like, well, I didn't notice. I mean, I'm smart at that. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it certainly was. Signing my time, sir. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but you know, the business relationships also begin contact with the Dominion. It's that one of those first trips that mm-hmm. Quark has taken out there to make negotiations that they first even hear about the Dominion early on in season one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and those business relationships carry us through a, a huge amount of that series in particular. But business again is hugely important to Voyager. Yo. The relationships they establish along the way of trade of exchange um of course neelix takes care of a lot of that yeah yeah decent businessman slash junk dealer himself indeed he's he's kind of a multi-talented guy that way oh yeah um but yeah that really greases sort of the wheels of their motion through the delta quadrant um used to work on orbital tethers models models (laughs) They, they were models uh, Imagine having an orbital tether model. I would want one actually because I want Earth to have an orbital tether. It would be pretty great. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not practical. I'll have to talk to the orbital tether experts on that That's one. We'll true. have to have them on the podcast. Oh, yeah. The From orbital and, tether. Uh, Inc. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. They, I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Um, well, I think we're coming to the end here, but before we kind of uh, reach our conclusions, perhaps, I just want to remind everybody that they can. Uh, reach us at locutorsoftrek at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook. And you can chat with us on there. And you can also find us on YouTube and Twitch. Oh, and of course, you can find Anywhere us. you find your podcast. Yeah, wherever too. you find your podcast, you will find us. Indeed. And with that, friends and relations, family near and far, fictive and literal, and transmission. Oh, oh, uh, well, th- thanks for that, then. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just take a new heading. That, we, we, I, we didn't see it. I don't, I don't know how we missed I that. I, I mean, I wasn't at the sensor station, that, I'll tell you that. Well, thanks, that, well, right, shuttlecraft out. Man. It's a good thing that Romulan warbird there was just there to no stop kidding. us from hitting that asteroid. No kidding. Holy. <laughs> and it's a good thing you have a Ramian grandfather. Or I think they were just going to keep our ship. Ah, uh, that might have been. Yeah. Yeah. For us. Yeah. Luckily, one of the other captain was a northerner. You know? Oh, well. That's well, good. That helps. Well, yeah. Yeah. But, well, uh, yeah. Well, we missed that, but we're going to have to change course around this asteroid that field. was That's exciting sure. though wasn't it it was Woo. i've never seen anything decloak before <laughs> Woo. oh man you see i've that? never seen a mit- an asteroid blow up <laughs> a few feet from the ship no and that disruptor what a lovely hue of green but it interrupted your blue moon a little bit mm. yeah a little bit where are we off to next uh oh gosh let's see where are we on the itinerary here? Where's the itinerary? Well, we're we're. What do you mean? Oh, I put it in the nav. I have it. Oh, great. Where are we off to? Okay, so well, three dates in. We're on Regular date four. Intro, Star Wars. Well, we're off to 
Ah, Draylon Two. Draylon Two. All right. I haven't been to Draylon in years. Oh, I've never been. What's it like? It's the best Draylon. Oh, the king of the Draylons, if you wish. Draylon One, Draylon Three. Get out of here. (laughs) Draylon. There's a reason we're playing Draylon. The sweet spot. All right. Well, I'll put that in then. Uh, Welcoming to fellows like us. Three, three, two, Mark, eight, and warp. Three point. Eh, Do you think that Romulan warbird would escort us there? I don't know. I got tractor beams. It's worth a shot. Do you want to ask them? We'll play for our supper. (laughs) Let's do it. All right, hailing frequencies open. I was joking. Do not open that hailing frequency. You should have seen the look on your face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Got me again.